This is the Forex Q&A podcast. This is VP, professional Forex prop trader here in the United States, answering your user-submitted Forex trading-related questions every Monday morning. Now, if you have a Forex trading-related question that is on your mind, don't ask me, you bum. Go to No Nonsense Forex on YouTube and run a search in the videos. Chances are I've already answered it somewhere, and this includes the rapid-fire episodes. But if you can't find it there, you can go to the No Nonsense Forex Discord forum and ask your question there. A link will be provided down below in the show notes and in the YouTube description. So I think, if I'm making a prediction, this is going to be a shorter episode of the podcast so I want to take this time to just put something out there officially on the airwaves so it's there. Uh, because there's a real lesson inside of it all, and I've mentioned the lesson before, but I want to kind of tie this all together. And it's going to sound like a bit of a silly story or a silly question that I get, but I have gotten it more than five times, probably in the course of the last two months. And the brunt of it came when gold started to spike back when that whole thing was going on between the United States and Iran, which I hope is in the past tense. I hope, you know, two years from now, people aren't going to say, oh, which time was that? Now, the one where we killed their guy and they retaliated and everybody panicked, you know, that whole thing, you know, early January 2020. So uh, many of you know, and just a few people just around town know uh, that I'm a big gold and silver bug. And uh, so these questions started to come up a little more when all that was going on. And because I think it was finally at that time that people were really starting to consider putting some of their money down into gold and silver. People that had never thought of it before, all of a sudden something happens, and instead of being proactive, they want to be reactive and start thinking about it now. But I'll get questions like, well, what if they don't need gold or even silver for industrial purposes anymore? What's that going to do to the value? And my answer is like, I, I don't know what that's going to do, or even if that's a logical prediction. You know, I can't see the future, neither can you. Uh, but then not soon after that, um, what I think is probably the more ridiculous question comes up. And it's honestly, it's not ridiculous to them. It kind of makes sense to them. I understand this. But I've gotten it a few times in the YouTube comments section as well. So I do want to address it now. And that's the whole thing about finding gold in outer space, uh, particularly on asteroids, which they have claimed they have already found a lot of, like trillions and trillions of ounces um, just sitting there waiting for somebody to come in and take it. And their question is, well, what if, you know, the United States or the Chinese or somebody goes up there and starts mining the gold? Isn't that going to crash the price? And so my answer to this is really twofold. Uh, for starters, I don't see anything like this happening for the next 20 years minimum. Space is really difficult, and it's very high risk to very little reward, as far as we know. Um, even when you know you have something like that up there, the risk-reward just still isn't quite there, or else we would have tried doing something by now, or at least gotten something in the works. Uh, but to think we're doing anything in space anytime soon is usually a pretty bad prediction. I mean, you have to remember, in the 1960s, people thought we'd all be living on the moon, you know, by the 1990s. And then now it's even 20 years later than that. And as far as we have progressed as a society, and the Internet has had a lot to do with that, um, even with all of those things factored in, we have made very few advancements in terms of anything regarding outer space. You know, much less living there, much less being able to go up and mine an asteroid and bring all of the equipment up there and try to do it in an efficient manner. I mean, that is a really, really heavy task. 
Uh, but let's just say for the sake of argument that we do get up there in the next 10 years and all of that gold is sitting up there. Yes, it will absolutely crash the price of gold. But then at that point, what is anybody's motivation for going up there and mining it in the first place? Spending all of that money and time and resources if the monetary value is no longer there. For all seven of you that follow gold mining stocks like I do, uh, you know there is a certain point in time. Um, now, this, There was a lot of talk of this back when gold was around 1200 that if gold drops lower and gets to a certain point, a lot of the small mines are just going to stop because it's not worth their time and energy and resources to pull something out of the ground that won't even allow them to break even. So gold already itself has to be at a certain level to motivate anybody to even get out of bed. And seeing as how trying to get it out of an asteroid, it would probably take 50 to 100 times the money and time and labor and resources. If the price of gold were to drop to such a level to where mines on Earth aren't even bothering with it, don't count on this whole asteroid thing happening anytime soon. And it's like I said with crypto, too. You know, is, is the current iteration of crypto that we see right now going to be the answer? Probably not, in my opinion, but that doesn't stop me from loading up on it because so much can happen in between now and whenever the decision comes. Plus, I could be wrong about crypto. Bitcoin might be the one thing we use to transact just about everything. Who knows? I mean, it doesn't sound plausible to me, but I always know that I could be wrong with stuff like this. Uh, but the main point I'm making about this, what seems like a pointless story about you know, gold on asteroids, is to stop coming up with questions and concerns like this when it comes to actual buy and hold investments. All right, You're just trying to talk yourself out of something that you know you probably need to do as soon as you can. All of this, well, I'll wait till I have this much saved before I do it, or I'm going to wait till it comes down to this price before I do it. These are all bad excuses, and these are all potentially very big mistakes. Now, I'm not talking about just gold and silver. That's something I like. You know, whatever you think is going to be really big in the years ahead, and you want to put your money down on it, just do it. Don't ask questions. Uh, we never know when the run's going to happen. And when this run started to happen, when the whole United States-Iran thing started to take place, there were some people freaking out that they didn't get the chance to invest in what they wanted to invest in when they had the chance to do it. It's just like with trading. It's not the losses that upset me. It's those really big wins that I missed out on because I somehow talked myself out of it or I did not budget my time the right way and I didn't get a chance to be around for it. That's a terrible feeling. I can only imagine the regret somebody might have if, whether it's gold, silver, crypto, the next iteration of Beanie Babies, whatever it is, goes to the moon and you missed out because you were so busy talking yourself out of it. The people who take risks in this world and at the same time do whatever they can to mitigate the downside of those risks, they are the ones that end up maximizing their potential while the rest of the world sits back with a bunch of regret and actually has the balls to call those people lucky. As is almost always the case, luck had absolutely nothing to do with it. It is the Forex Q&A podcast, and this is not a question from anybody, but I've done episodes like this before. Uh, more or less, it's some of the numbers that came out for 2019 in terms of hedge funds closing down. 
I don't want to give you a hard number because I've seen different articles that have given different numbers, so I don't want to sit there and say the wrong thing, but it's pretty bad. It was bad before, and it got worse. Now, in my mind, there are three main reasons why hedge funds closed down at such a staggering rate. Um, the first one is, like a lot of things, like restaurants, like, uh, like any kind of small business, really, uh, they're often started by people who have no business starting anything like that. So it's kind of doomed to fail from the start. Um, but so many of us hear the word hedge fund, and we have this mythical idea of all these really amazing traders and investors with all this great technology behind it, getting crazy returns for people, uh, when in reality that is much more the exception than it would be the norm. And there's different types of hedge funds as well. Um, there are types uh, to where, like the conventional ones we think of a lot to where they normally short the market, which is another reason why a lot of them have gone out of business because there hasn't been much to short. And if you went short, you got hurt. But people had stars in their eyes back when the hedge funds were the only people making money during the recession. And so they thought they would try to time the market throughout the entire 2010s. And that has turned out to be a really bad idea. And the amount of hedge funds closing down all throughout the 2010s was pretty nuts. I mean, you can find articles on this everywhere. You can go to Google Images and find charts on this. You know, if I was doing a video instead of a podcast, I'd show these to you. No, but it's no secret. It's, it's out there. And it got even worse in 2019. Now, why was this? Well, it's, of course, things just got worse and worse. But you think you would have thought hedge funds would have learned by now not to just be the type that shorts the market. Um, but even the types, the structures of hedge funds that don't do this had a really hard time staying afloat as well. And a lot of them fell apart. And the main reason for this is for starters, you have to have a lot of money to invest into a hedge fund, right? It's usually only for high net worth individuals. So people are like, all right, if I'm going to give you all of this money, you better beat the benchmark, which has always been the S&P 500. Whatever returns the S&P 500 gets, that's how I'm going to measure your performance. And if you can't beat that, well, then what am I doing giving you all my money when I can just put it blindly into an index fund or the SPY and just let it go? You know, hedge funds have a burden to make really significant returns for their clients because they have that benchmark to compete against every single year. But usually this is okay because the average S&P return for the longest time was about 10 to 11%. You know, really good traders with really good resources at their backs could beat this more often than not. And if they couldn't, they would say, well, okay, so I underperformed this year and only got you 9%, but I got you 63% the year before, for Christ's sakes. Can you know, cut me a break here? Let's average it out. Uh, but hedge funds overall have not had a good 2010s. And then in 2019, the benchmark, the S&P, went all the way up to a 30% return, like a little bit over 30%. So this was just the nail in the coffin for many hedge funds that were already on thin ice. Now, is it really fair? Probably not. You know, like I said back in the ETFs video I just made on Thursday, you know, that, that common argument to where, oh, if you would have just put your money into an index fund when you were 22 and let it roll over, blah, blah. This is one of the biggest blind arguments you're going to get from people who don't invest anything, all right? This whole hindsight index fund argument to where people who are actually investing their own money 
are okay with that. They have money in the S&P. They have some of it in those defensive plays, but they're also trying to do better. And we also understand we're not stupid. The the S&P is not going to get a 30% return every year. This is an anomalous year. These stocks did not all of a sudden become 30% more valuable. You know, it was the Fed pumping money in, and we got this free ride, and a lot of people took advantage of it. Okay. But I think a lot of people would have at least understood this and given their hedge funds a bit more leniency had those funds been able to perform in years past, and they weren't doing that either. So where on earth am I going with all this? Well, first off, I know some people are thinking it because I get the argument sometimes in the YouTube comments to where like, oh, well, hedge funds do this, or I worked for a hedge fund and we did this, therefore our method supersedes your method. Uh, When in reality, hedge funds are not pulling in the returns you think they are. They're not full of these super alpha brain traders coming up with things nobody's ever seen before. I mean, sometimes it is, don't get me wrong, but it's very seldom. It's not what you think it is. I've seen their technical traders get interviewed. I've seen these big time, and I'm doing air quotes, technical traders talk on TV, and they are all using dirty dozen tools because chances are they fell in the same trap everybody else fell in, and they've become extremely limited in what they're able to do. Yet most people don't understand technical analysis, so when they see these charts with trend lines and moving averages and RSI on them, they're like, wow, look at that. This person is a chart master. Look at all this stuff he knows. Look at that time where he pointed out how price was oversold on the RSI, and that made price go up. I mean, where do they find these trading wizards? When the truth is, and you and I both know it now, dear no-nonsense Forex trader, how these people are entry-level technicians at best, and they are extremely limited by the tools they use, and they're just doing the best they can with them. There are so many of you right now who are already miles ahead of these people. I just don't think you realize it. If you remember back to episode 68, of the podcast. Experts are not experts. I cannot say this enough. Stop thinking these people know more than you do. They are just using the tools they've been given. If they make any kind of really good returns, it probably has more to do with money management than anything else, because I'm sure the good hedge funds have measures in place to make sure, you know, they keep their losses low and their wins higher. Uh, But even with all of their technology and all of their financial backing, most of them do not have what you have right now. And I'm very confident saying that in public, on the internet, where I cannot take it back. A lot of you had very lofty ideas of what a hedge fund actually is. Uh, Maybe it's because you were only aware of the ones at the very top. Uh, Maybe because you were unaware of the fact that they've been closing down at an alarming rate ever since the early 2010s. Uh, But the truth is, most of them weren't shit. Most of you have something really special here. It's only a question of what you do with it. And just like the gold and silver analogy I gave earlier, if there's any lesson here, it's just be aggressive with this. Like, don't up your risk to 4 or 5%. Like, not stupid like that. But if you have something great and you know you have something great, don't sit on it. Because opportunities will pass you by. They're passing you by right now as we speak. Make sure after you've consumed all of the material and back-tested and forward-tested and real-life tested and gotten all your bumps and bruises out of the way. And believe me, all of you are still in the bumps and bruises stage. But after that's out of the way, and you are firing on all cylinders, 
Just understand how rare and unique and wonderful of a thing you have and use it to become super aggressive in whatever it is you want to do with this whole thing. Set yourself up to find those people who took their money out of those hedge funds and say, hey, look, you know, they were able to do this in three years. This is what I was able to do in three years. How about you give me a small portion of that money and I'll show you what I can do. Or find a hedge fund that's on their last legs and say, hey, look, has your performance been struggling? Mine doesn't struggle. Here's what I was able to do in the last three years. Let's talk. There are so many directions you can go with this. I just don't want intimidation to be one of the things that stands in your way. So many of these hedge fund traders were absolute garbage. They were slaves to what the market did. And we as Forex traders are not. We have that luxury already built in. I've said this before, traders. Your only competition when it's all said and done is going to be with each other. So who's it going to be? Who is out there building right now so they become one of the most coveted traders in the 2020s? Your competition sucks. It's right there for you. So make sure you're aggressive when the time comes and go get it.